What a tremendously beautiful day we have in front of us today. And we are starting a new series. And some may think that it is, um, I don't know, uh, a bit presumptuous on my part. I, ho I hope not. Um, you can see it listed there. PJ's priority passages. Um, you know, it, it, it has a purpose, it serves a purpose, and trying to help us understand those purposes uh, may never come to fruition. <laughs> it, it's more the idea that if I, for whatever reason, um, only had 10 messages to speak, and that's it, what would those 10 messages be? That thinking through the, the concept and the challenges and the difficulties of all that we've faced this year, um, I, I felt compelled prayerfully to consider how can we reboot where we're going? What's happened to the state of the church? Are we thriving? Are we um, floundering? To what level... Are we who we should be before the Lord? Uh, to what level has culture affected us? And so much of what I'm going to share with you over these uh, next few weeks, we're going to be taking this series all the way into late June. And then we'll start our summer program on the 4th of July. And uh, we'll make sure we have something unique and special going there. So... The key passage, I'm going to borrow from the passage we just completed. The key passage here is Colossians 1.28. And uh, I've got it on the screen here for you. And as we move through each week, this is the impetus behind why we're studying what we're studying. Okay, This idea out of Colossians where Paul shares... And I only list verse 28, and it really is our contextual verse for one of our five E's uh, about equipping. And Paul says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is a passion here at CBC, that we give you as much meat as we possibly can so that you can mature in your faith, so that there is a vibrancy to your spiritual walk. So where do we start with that? It was hard to pick what would be the preeminent, right? Because we kind of operate that way in our thinking. I don't know if you do, but I know I do, is that we think often in the sense of the launch and the very last one. And uh, we'll be broadcasting this series so you can see from week to week. Uh, next week, we have a special guest speaker. I have a memorial service that I have to attend down in Los Angeles. And David Yarlagata will be preaching next Sunday. Really? I don't ever get that. That is just brutal. No, I knew you would be excited about that. Um, and so as we move forward... In, in looking at this idea of what would be those priority passages, we start today with the idea of faith. That faith is so preeminent to the wellness of life. Now, I know I sound like a Kaiser commercial, but there's a reason why I'm starting out that way. Because... My choice to start and to lead with faith is because everything else is foundational to faith. Faith has to be the preeminent lead. And so this morning, I want to take us down a road of examining how does faith affect us. And with my little Kaiser infomercial, it leads us into an area that I want us to walk in just temporarily. Because often when someone standing where I'm standing right now uses the word faith, we contextualize it, right? To the scriptures and to God. Faith is such a powerful 
aspect of just life. That's why we lead with this. So this morning as we journey, we're going to look at the importance of faith just in the context of life to get us all working on the same page as to why we really need to start here. And then we're going to examine kind of through like a Theology 101 class. We're going to talk about scripturally how does faith work and how does that help me have a spiritual breakthrough. Now you're going to hear this word spiritual breakthrough. It may sound like a uh, book on the, the uh, uh, top 10 list of, of spiritual Amazon books. Uh, I'm really not wanting to go there, but I also like to break culture if I can. And, and so my point is, I, I often really bristle back at people who try to steal language that's perfectly good language. So I just want to share with you, if all of a sudden you're hearing spiritual breakthrough, wow, is this guy going to promise me a new car if I just, you know, pray this, this, and that? No. Spiritual breakthrough is the idea that we're muddling through and we become content, frog in the kettle with where we are spiritually. And, and we don't understand why we've lost that fire. We don't know how to get back to that fire. And for some of us, maybe we have sunk so much into that miry clay out of Psalm 40, right? That we don't even realize where we are. So much of what we'll look at in these 10, uh, 10 sermon series uh, passages are a measuring tool for you and I to look at our heart, examine our heart, and say, where am I spiritually? And then what will I do with that? So this morning we start with this idea of faith. And I want to lead out with a passage that... Uh, uh, got up on the screen. We'll come back to this a little bit later, but it's the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 of Hebrews goes into a great deep, uh, uh, almost existential examination of faith. And it spans centuries. And so if you want to really dive deep into the idea of faith, get in this week into chapter 11 of Hebrews. But I'm going to give you two passages or two sections of Scripture that are meant to uh, make you wrestle a little bit or give you a, a booster shot. Sorry, I just had to go there this week. <laughs> had to give you a booster shot of how important this issue of faith is. And so he says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? To please him. How crucial is this when we talk about faith being a priority, if we know that it is faith and our actions in faith that what actually please God? This has to be preeminent, does it not? It has to be preeminent. And so, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How many of you have gone into a, a very challenging endeavor without any expectation of any kind of result or reward or anything? You were just completely ambivalent, but you, you were all in on it. We don't often do that. There is something innate about appealing to this sense of cause and effect. And there is nothing wrong with understanding that God has as the writer of Hebrews says, has spiritual rewards, which much of that is connected to actually having relationship with God. What a reward to truly be able to have relationship with God. Let's take a peek real quick. Turn to Luke, and we're going to look real quickly <clears throat> in Luke 17. at this story, just a tremendous, tremendous story. And again, there is a booster shot here for all of us to examine, hear, and look at. I have one part of the passage listed here, and it's verse 19, but I'm gonna give you a little bit more. So 
Uh, On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now, some of you may not know what leprosy is, but uh, it kind of makes, you know, a virus look silly. Um, that, That leprosy had some kind of connections to the world we've been living in over this past year, because if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were cast out. It wasn't just that you were going to suffer and die from a horrible neurological disease. It was, and by the way, it was highly contagious. It was that you couldn't be around people. You were put into a colony of those just like, does this sound a little familiar? You were put into a colony just like, with those that were just like you, that had the same disease that you had. Really, in in every essence, stripping away hope of any level of life. All you were there to do is focus on how you would die. And yet, as Jesus is passing by, he didn't do so randomly. Jesus never did anything randomly. Jesus passed by with intention. Who calls out to whom? Let's listen. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, right? Wearing masks, six feet. And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. This is an interesting idea or interesting Uh, way to say this because the process for someone who had leprosy that you would be declared clean or free from the effects and able to integrate back into society based off of some procedures and tests that the priest would apply to you. So when Jesus says, he doesn't say you are healed, he doesn't say do you want to be healed, He doesn't say, he just simply cuts to the quick and he says, just go. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And here's the booster shot, folks. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I think there are aspects of spiritual doldrums, spiritual apathy, that when God shows up in our lives in certain ways or certain times, it is so overwhelming that we lose track of what our proper response should be, right? And this is what we see here. That here you have a person who recognizes that as they go, they can tell they are being healed. And they return to say thank you. The others just wanted clearance so they could dine indoors. Right? I'm going to go to the authorities and you can declare me clean and then I can, I can reinsert myself into society. And yet Jesus did not withhold healing from them. But you hear what Jesus said, your what has made you well? Your faith has made you well. This is such an integral part to spiritual breakthrough. For these 10 individuals, spiritual breakthrough was understanding who Jesus was by reputation. And coming out from where they were, they still kept a distance, but they cried out to Jesus saying, heal us. They were desperate. They took action. They took controversial action because they were so moved. 
They had a fire inside of them to be healed. Is the church in need of that fire today? Because the culture says that we should fight amongst ourselves. The culture says we should get so distracted with things that are in the news or non-essential things. Sorry, I'm borrowing language from everything today. That we lose track of the beauty of our faith and our interaction with the Lord and, and trusting Him and living in that glorious world of faith and that fierce fire of faith that we get so focused on the waves like Peter did that we stop walking on the water. So I feel compelled to bring to you these priority passages. And we start with faith. Well, let's move through the case for faith. By the way, case for faith, great, great book. Um, I was going to bring it out. I've got a couple books I'm going to show. Oh, there's my other one. Somebody's just borrowing it for a platform to write on. Good for you for taking notes, young lady in the front row. See me after church. Um, where, where was I? She's such a distraction to me. Oh, uh, I, I had a series of books that I want to reference so that, that you guys can take those as resources. I'll, I'll make mention of those two later. The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, a great, great um, book and resource. In a very specific way, as an apologetic to understanding that it's not that nuts to have faith in Jesus Christ and who he says he is and, and what he did. But let me get to something that, that maybe will help us with understanding the power of faith and the fierce fire of faith and how stridently important that is. If we are walking in board, spiritual boredom, we need to wake up. Our faith is not relegated by our culture, is it? Our faith is not relegated by our economy, is it? Our faith, my faith, your faith is not relegated by who's in office or what my boss says or what my boss does. Everything is an opportunity for me to live with the fierce fire of faith. Everything. There is no better time to be alive as a believer in Jesus Christ than right now. So we need to wake up out of our spiritual boredom if we are there. So let me give you some things right now that just help clarify the grand focus on faith. Lord Tennyson penned, three years before he passed away, penned a poem called Crossing the Bar. Once he penned it, it was so personally important to him that he gave instructions that every anthology or every historical gathering and publication of his works, he instructed, this must be the last one. Right? Remember how I was talking about the importance of, you know, the first one you launch and the, and the last one? He says, I want this to be the indelible thought I leave people with. Listen to this poem. Sunset and evening star and one clear call for me and may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. But such a tide as moving seems asleep, too full for sound and foam, when that which drew from out of the boundless deep turns again home. Twilight and evening bell, and after that the dark, and may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out are born of time and place, the flood bear me far. I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. Tennyson poetically was using maritime imagery to speak of death and seeing God the Father. I hope you caught that in there. You see, he had such a fierce faith. And this, in my estimation, is the capstone. We have lived in a world of fear this past year. It is propagated, and there are things in very natural ways that we should fear. 
But Tennyson got it right. You see, what Tennyson is writing is that he no longer fears death. He welcomes it. Brothers and sisters, that's the fierce fire of faith. Crossing the bar is a maritime statement meaning the sandbar as you exit the harbor. And sometimes ships would get caught on that sandbar and it would be peril. But it was a... It was a line of demarcation that if you could get past the bar, you were safely home. How fascinating that Tennyson said, make this the last poem in every anthology published of my works. This is how important he saw it. Faith crosses boundaries. The world lives by faith, divine or otherwise. In our relationships, do you remember the first time you asked out or you were asked out by your spouse? There was probably a pretty good chance they were going to say no. Right? I hear some chuckling in the room. I, I want to have some stories later on. There's a pretty good chance that in, in your own mind, that it's like, I don't know. How many people did you never approach because you just didn't want to risk it? You don't want to risk the rejection. Even in our own marriages or our own families, we hold back what we would truly want to say because we want to live in the world of safety. But sometimes, folks, that's boring. And sometimes that creates relationships that are really not relationships at all. The true sign of a very strong and healthy relationship is one, and I say this often in my, my marriage counseling, is one that is a safe place to say what needs to be said. If you foster the environment where those expressions, those confidences are given in trust and they are met with love and open ears, what a beautiful thing that you can say what needs to be said without reciprocation. Relationships, what about investments? There's no guarantees with our investments. How are you checking your 401ks or your portfolios on a daily basis? Why? Because you're nervous. Because there's no guarantees. Now, some of you have just gone with your straight, uh, I don't know anything about the financial markets, but you know, I know that there's a safe way to do it, and then there's a risky way to do it. Some of you have invested and you're just like, if I get 0.5% return, that's fine. I don't care. At least my money's not going to get stolen away. Right? You want the security of it, but you'll never know the thrill of making two and a half times what you could make. And you feel those, those hits a little bit when your friends say, oh my goodness, I, I had stock in GameStop. Right? And you're like, gosh. Man, if I'd only jumped on that. But spiritually, we have these same kinds of regrets or interactions. But the world, my point is, the world operates in faith all the time. Faith is not select to a spiritual endeavor. Faith is this entity that drives the world and drives growth. Space exploration. What on earth are we doing on Mars for the 18th time? What? Uh, my favorite thing, when, when the last Mars rover went, I got this little meme that came up, and there was a picture, and creeping around a rock was uh, the Martian from Warner Brothers. It said, we found, finally found life, right? What are we doing out there? There is no evidence that there is life, and yet what a thing that united the country when we landed on the moon. Now, had you gone back to the 1920s and pointed up to the moon and told people, I believe there's a way that we can put a person up there, how do you think they would have responded to you? And yet, those of you that lived that experience, right? It was something that united people. There was a fierce fire behind it. It was exciting, it was exhilarating. It never happens if it wasn't for the faith of individuals to say, we can do this. Do you see where I'm going with this? Faith is the foundation for growth and breakthrough. Spiritual boredom 
or spiritual breakthrough. This is our choice, right? The faith is the foundation for growth and breakthrough. How many, the best way for me to paint this is, how many individuals do you know that just gave up? Because it's too risky. It's just too risky. I don't want to fail. And so they never know the glorious experience of rising above the ordinary. And yet we see it around us all the time. We honor people like that. And by the way, the people that live this world of faith, this fierce fire of faith, it's not select to only the brilliant. It's not select to only those who uh, are, are the Hollywood elites. It's not select to the Illuminati for you preppers out there. It's not select. It can happen with any of us. That is the beautiful thing is how inclusive it is. And we'll get to that in a minute. Mountains are moved because of faith. Hold up your cell phone. Got your cell phone? It's probably one of the only times I'll ever ask you to do this. Set up, go ahead and open your camera on your cell phone. Once you got it, Pointed at me. What was that for, Pam? Oh, she's just got a just got a joke over the internet. You ready? On three, I want you to take a picture of me. Ready? One, two, three. Did you get it? Oh, some of you are still waiting. Okay, some of you have problems. Apple phones. Yeah, there's one right there. She's still trying to take the picture. All right. Keep that picture in your gallery so that you can remember this point. If somebody had told you when you were growing up that your phone would take better pictures than a $1,000 SLR Nikon, what would you have said? You're nuts. We have one, not a $1,000 Nikon, <laughs> When we first moved here, I got my wife a, a present because our kids were going through, you know, all those things, the school plays, and you know, so she, she got a, a, a nice camera. Thing has so much dust on it, it should go in the Smithsonian. Because our camera phones are so good at this point that it has made SLRs for society obsolete. If somebody had told you that, you would have laughed them away, wouldn't you? But because of the fierce fire of faith by several of these companies, what's going on? Improvement. Things that we're able to hold on to pictures for our entire life and the convenience of having those things. Anybody on your Facebook feed this past week have that what happened four years ago pop up this week? You know, and you had forgotten about it? There's a picture that, of me at a buffet with spaghetti all over my, I wanted to forget about it. No, it didn't exist. Mountains are moved because of faith. Not just for, in spiritual realms, but in general. Lastly, and not because this is a comprehensive list, it's just we've got to move forward. When faith dies, so does Inspiration. What's my point? Well, what if key people in history had chosen to temper the fierce fire of faith to an uninspired and ordinary life? What if Shakespeare chose, after his first critique that didn't go so well, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. I quit. What if Michael Faraday, the British chemist, who's responsible for so many of the findings in modern physics and chemistry when his first 10 experiments went south, singed off his eyebrows, right? Just said, I'm done. What would we be lacking in? What about Blaise Pascal? What about Newton? What about Steve Irwin? 
Crikey. <laughs> now, just the fact that you laughed when I said Steve Irwin. Some of you are like, who's Steve Irwin? <laughs> but most of you knew who I was talking about, right? That guy did a lot of fierce fire faith moves. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, and it killed him. So what are you preaching here? There was a reason people kept tuning in. Mostly because they wanted to see the crocodile chew off Steve's arm. Right? It's like NASCAR. We go for the crashes. But there was something infectious about him that was a little bit dangerous because then you got everybody and their mother's cousin wanting to jump on the back of an alligator. But Steve Irwin had something infectious about him, didn't it? Didn't he? And the world mourned a guy that did crazy things with animals. Faith is not relegated to a select few people. But when you see the fierce fire of faith in a select group of people, it inspires you. That is not just select to spiritual things, but it is a worldwide principle. And it has created so much good in our world. Let me change it up now and, and, and take us into the idea of saving faith, heaven-sent faith. What does this mean? Well, we're going to transition into what you need to know and, and equip you well so you have all wisdom and all maturity when it comes to faith in your spiritual walk. So that rather than walk in the spiritual doldrums and be okay with that, we can look and we can say, this is how faith works to raise me up spiritually, and this is how I can engage in faith according to how God has structured things so that I can have a fierce fire in my life. We'll look at this a little bit later in the instructions from Paul to Timothy with fanning into flame your faith. The first thing that I would share with you is that faith is part, our part of the equation of salvation. All right? It's our part. And, and without getting into Reformed theology and Calvinism and all of that, I just want to help you go to this real quickly. You've got the passage, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. And yet, Jesus himself said what to the leper? Your faith has made you well. We'll see in a little bit in Romans 5 where it says, you are justified by your what? Faith. We can see moment after moment with individuals in Scripture where because of their faith, their choice of faith, Spiritually, they rise. This is our part of the equation of salvation. God has done all the work. Listen carefully. This is how it works. God has done all the work. But he has required of you and I that we, what? Believe. For God so loved the world, he sent his, what? His only son, in order that for those who believe would have eternal life our part of the equation is to open that door and walk through it and to believe and to have faith so the first part of heaven sent faith in order to have a fierce fire of faith is the understanding that this is our engagement with salvation this is how God has designed it. It's how he has instructed it. We didn't make a way to God. He made the way for us to recognize what has been done for us. And now the choice. He gives us that choice. And by the way, it gets a little, little deeper, a little more challenging, because none of us come into faith until the Holy Spirit pulls that veil from our eyes, right? 2 Corinthians 4. So that what seemed fuzzy, what seemed unclear, what may have just seemed knowledgeable, then becomes conviction and faith and belief. That only happens because of the Holy Spirit. And yet, so there's a mystery in there, yet it is our part in the equation. 
All right, you got that? So the second part, boy, she is just so good. She's taking notes and responding. Faith is inclusive. Faith is, you can sit in the front row every single week. Faith is an inclusive and inspirational discipline that bonds unlikely people together. Who is in this room right now, look around the room, who's in this room that you normally would never speak to based off of how they look? <laughs> Go ahead, just volunteer it so you can, you can share. But yet one of the things that is so wonderful about our church our church family, is that I don't have to go to a seminar on how to not be a token white church. Do you know that there is millions of dollars being manufactured in books, in seminars for church leaders? How do you turn your church into a multi-ethnic church? And there's a lot of churches that need to go through that exercise. For whatever reason, God has just gathered who he has gathered here. And it's beautiful, and it's incredible, and it's wonderful. But if I wasn't here at Concord Bible Church, I don't know that I would have the connection with Hanny that I have. And this happens all over the place with the family of God, with faith. Faith breaks down barriers, amen? It breaks, and so a fierce fire of faith how do you know if you've got that? If you start to retract and isolate yourself and convince yourself spiritually you're okay for doing that, your fire is, is a flicker. I just guarantee you, your fire is a flicker. Now, there are reasons. Look, if Elijah could do it, if Elijah could go escape into a cave and say, I'm out of here, man, I can't handle this. It's understandable. We get it. That, that's, that's, that's not a slight on who we are. It just says where our struggle is. How we respond is truly where the fierce fire of faith resides. So faith is inclusive by God's design. He has given that opportunity and that right and that ability for faith to all people. So the question is, how are we nurturing that? And so look at the passage, Romans 1. I told you we were going to kind of go into some of this. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of what? Of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. I listened to a very disillusioned, I saw this cap caption on a YouTube video this past week, Why I Left Christianity. And I went to bed at 1 in the morning, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, it's 55 minutes long. <laughs> oh, but I got to know. This person was so disillusioned. They actually read too much. Have you ever met that person that is so ingrained that they get themselves so far off? The Pharisees were that way. They get themselves so far off because... They have gotten into the minutia, and the minutia have become the thing. And one of the things that this individual was fully holding on to is the New Testament was never written to us. It was only written to Jews. And that the promises of God and the work of Jesus Christ was only for the Jewish nation. Now that came from erroneous teaching that she had sat underneath. It's easy to get into a position of confusion. Our faith gets shipwrecked. Faith is the way we please God. Faith is the way that we please God. Again, we're back to the Hebrews 11:6. We started out here at the beginning of, of the passage, but what a beautiful thing. This is how we can please God. How often do you think about that on a daily basis? I'm going to make choices today that please God. God is going to be on his throne. He's going to be saying, wow, Jeremy, really? You chose that? You were listening, man. Well done. Holy Spirit, well done. Whatever you had to do to that knucklehead to get him to pay attention, do it again. Over and over and over. What a beautiful thing. 
You remember those moments where you would please your boss or your coach or your parents or your husband or your wife or your children? Man, those moments where your children become teenagers, just challenging. Just challenging. And, and I'll give you a little, this isn't on my notes, I'm just going to give you a little sidebar here. Cut them some slack because the world they live in says no matter what, give no honor to your parents or you will slip to the dark side of, of your culture. So you have all this wall, this invisible wall of culture as a parent to receive any kind of compliment or honor from your teenager. That doesn't mean it can't happen. You hear the hyperbole, right? But I see it. I see it when my kids' friends laugh at my dad jokes and my kids just roll their eyes and say, don't encourage them. Don't encourage them. Right? So the idea is that we can please God. How pleasing is it for me when one of my own children says something honoring about me? I had a moment like that that just, in the face of it, was just tremendous. I forget a lot of things. You guys there? I forget a lot of things, but I, I don't think I'll ever forget this. And I remember it starting out with my wife not being happy about it. That's how most, no, I'm just kidding. We were heading down to this camp where I speak out on Catalina Island, and our, our family was able to go out with me. And I just asked the question while we were driving. I said, hey, Dylan, because he was going to be a camper now. I said, do you want me to keep it a secret? That was like the Holy Spirit telling me. That wouldn't be on our radar normally. I said, you want me to keep it a secret that you're my son? And he said, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> and I was like, at one moment I'm like proud that I, was, I tapped into something that Normally, you wouldn't ever think, you know, and, and then I, my wife is tearing up over next to me on the side, you're denying your own parents, what? And, and so for like four days, he would just walk past us, we'd be out on the deck of our couch, he'd just walk right on by. And, uh, but Thursday afternoon, I went to go get cleaned up and get ready for evening meal, and you can hear these guys in the showers talking, and... Uh, there's a couple guys talking and saying, hey, man, what do you think of the speaker? And I'm like, oh, oh, this is that moment. And so they said some, they said some nice things. And I, you know what? Normally I would remember those things. But you're about to find out why I don't remember those things. Because my son was in there. And he had no idea that I was in there. And he said, that's my dad. Right? And, and so when it comes to this verse, I think about that. That if I'm going to act with the fierce fire of faith, man, to know that God is saying, that's my son. That's my adopted son. Have you seen him? Kind of like Job, right? Except just, let me be a facsimile of Job. Don't bring all that stuff. Faith is believing what we hope for. Faith is believing what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. So this is the first verse in chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the definition, biblically, of what faith is. So to have a fierce fire of faith is to what? It is the assurance. I am sure of that which I can only hope for. That's why this is an uncomfortable subject. That's why it's so challenging for you and I. How many of you have a problem? Wow, fantastic to all of you. No problems, we've hit it, right? It's okay, it's safe. Non-rhetorical question. Raise your hand. You have a problem, not like a mental problem, folks. Let me help you. Just any kind of challenge or difficulty in your life, right? We all have it, right? And the answer to those things and the beauty of walking above those problems and through those problems and those circumstances with our, our spine straight, 
is to walk by the fierce fire of faith. And that's why I recommend these books. It doesn't have to be exactly these books, but books like this. 50 people every Christian should know. Because in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says what? It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race with perseverance. Saying, look at those who have run before you, which is chapter 11. And, and here's the beginning of 11. Now faith is the assurance of things. And then the writer goes through and he starts talking about all these famous people who acted in faith. Brothers and sisters, you want to live in that fierce fire of faith, start listening to and surrounding yourself with people who did it well. Learn from their lives. Start to walk through your challenges and your problems the way they did. Learn from others. It's coaching, right? So thinking about that, Faith is believing what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. Um, the challenge is obvious. The last idea is faith justifies us before God. Faith justifies us before God. And, and I shared with you earlier that, that while Ephesians 2 says that this is the gift of God, we truly, our choice of faith is our part of the equation and it's listed here, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. These are key passages to understanding heaven-sent faith and salvation faith. You are made acceptable in God's eyes because of the grace and the work he has done, but because you accept that and you place your faith, were you there? Many of you were here last week and we celebrated the resurrection. You were here on Good Friday and we focused on the cross, but were you there? Marianne and Joe sang the song, Were You There?, and it's there to stimulate our minds into thinking, what would it be like to be there? We don't have that opportunity. It's in faith. But when you have walked in that fierce fire of faith and you experience God as a result of that, it changes your life. Amen? And you have tasted of something you cannot taste of in any other way. The application feeds the belief. And so let me take you there now. So Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift that God has given to him in his, <clears throat> in his second letter to Timothy. Prior to this verse that we are familiar with, he was talking about the great faith of his mother, the great faith that he used to exhibit. And it seems like what Paul is doing is he's addressing one of his disciples who has kind of fell into the boredom of spirituality, the doldrums of spirituality. Things have been rough for a period of time. And so Paul is saying, you need to fan that flame so that it is vibrant again. It is not a flicker. Because you have to walk in that kind of faith to truly see God at work. So how do we apply these things that we've taken a short walk into about salvation and faith? What does this look like to have a life that's fierce in faith? Number one, determine excuses are poisonous. Determine that excuses are poisonous. Excuses are safe, aren't they? They're boring and they're stagnating. What's the difference between an excuse and a reason? Yeah. I think one is a selfish reason. Right? I think one is a selfish reason. Determine that excuses are poisonous. Excuses are safe, boring, and stagnating. 
as far as doing a pursuit of faith. Second, surround yourself with the fierce fire of faith. In my office, I have reminders all over my wall of events in my life where God showed up because of actions of faith or steps of faith. That God rewarded that faith and that he is faithful to do what he says he will do. And I need those continual reminders because there will come the dry moments, right? There will come the spiritually boring moments where I just don't feel it. By the way, when we kind of evaluate what this looks like, the fierce fire of faith, maybe in your mind you're thinking of this grandiose thing like Elijah with the prophets of Baal and, and water and fire extinguishers and, you know, all that. No. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it is those quiet moments where you are done. You don't have anything left. But you do turn to God in faith. And you say, I need you to show me that my faith has purpose. And in some unique and special way, the Lord shows up. No fanfare, no big crowd. So it can be in a, a variety of different ways that we surround ourselves with the fierce fire of faith. The third thing, know what you are seeking and pray. Work at God's will every day. Learn. By doing that, we can present ourselves as mature and wise in the faith so that we don't go through these challenges of being spiritually bored. Get some coaching. Remember that great cloud of witnesses Find people who have walked in ways of faith that you endeavor to walk in and meet with them. Go have a cup of coffee. Be willing to ask people that you never thought you would have an engagement with. There are so many times where a mentor of mine that their lifestyle, their choices of faith have been that which have inspired me to continue on when I feel dry spiritually. Get some coaching. Set goals for great things, right? Move mountains, prayer. You know, fire's dangerous, right? So hopefully those who are listening aren't imagining like, you're going to go light a fire somewhere and expect it to explode, and the pastor told me to do that. And, you know, it's a metaphor for our faith. Just want to make sure it's really clear there. There are moments, and sometimes they're just really kind of silly moments. We don't think much of them in the moment. But just borrowing from one of those in my life, many of you have heard the story of the baseball that I caught. Some of you who are new, I'll spare you the gory details. But I won't spare all of them because it's a really exciting story. Um, <laughs> I, I caught a foul ball at a church activity at, at, at the athletics game uh, by my favorite baseball player, Mike Trout. And so for years, I took my son to spring training, and, and he wanted to get a signature from Tim Salmon, the other fishy angel. And uh, there was a moment where he actually could have gotten that signature. Worked for it for three years, and he let all these other boys that we helped go with their dads and fathers, let all these other boys go in front of him so that they could have that experience. This is the one player he wanted to have sign a ball, and it was right in front of him. And I have a picture of this. And right as Dylan handed him the ball, they rang a bell that said he had to stop signing and get off the field. And he handed the ball back. No signature. And my son was brokenhearted. And I was just calling out to Jesus in that moment. Lord, why would you disappoint my son when he did the right thing? So, fast forward 1,400 years later. We go down to this, down to L.A., and I go to an Angels game on my own. And I got the ball. Now, this is just stupid. 
Like I'm thinking I'm going to be able to get to somebody that could sign this ball. There's only one person I'm going to have sign that ball anyway. What are the chances? I'm like up in the high rises. I should prop myself up in the outfield and put my feet up on the railing and just watch the game out there. It was great. I had a great night. And uh, at the very end, I just started walking around. But I brought that ball just wondering, maybe, just maybe something could happen. And I brought that ball. And as I'm walking out, there was the Fox Sports West broadcast. And I walked up in the live broadcast, and I'm standing there. And who's doing the broadcast? Tim Salmon. And so I waited till the broadcast was over. I walked up to him. I told him the story. And he signed my trout hit ball. It has been signed by a salmon. (laughs) Set goals for great things. You never know what could happen. You never know what could happen. By the way, I asked him to put his favorite verse on there, Proverbs 5, 3, and 6 is what he wrote. Have a plan for failure. Okay, so I wasn't ignoring the whole Steve Irwin thing. All right? When we ask you to go out in faith, we know that there's a challenge in meeting that. So have a plan for failure. The struggles are real, but learning and struggling are the journey. It's going through those struggles where we are given opportunity to have that fierce fire of faith become very real and very alive. Lastly, endeavor with the Almighty. Never go alone. Don't have a feisty fire. Right? I can do a feisty fire. Right? We, I, I can put something together that a lot of people are, oh, that was great. Oh, that was fantastic. But there's a huge difference between me doing something on my own And in faith, saying, Lord, show me what you want. Let's do this together. And watching the results of that. There's a huge difference. Let me show you the difference. We have these lights behind me. That's a big statement of faith. Right? I have people walk up to me and say, what's wrong with your lights? You know, somebody needs to turn on the rest of those lights. Oh, yeah, you're right. Somebody does need to turn on the rest of those lights. That's why they're there. And as a pastor, to put that reminder in front of us, you've heard me say this over and over, put that reminder in front of us every single gathering that here's the reality of what's happening within our church body with what Jesus has asked us to do. So last week, we had a moment where during Easter services, we asked if anybody wanted to commit their life to Jesus Christ. And I saw some of you, you know, we asked you to, you know, close your eyes, give some privacy, let's have some of you do this. (laughs) And and, and then the person sitting next to you, did you see anybody? Did you see anybody? When I say close your eyes, close them! And so I prayed. I had partnered with God. I had said, this is your will because you stated it in your scripture. You've asked us to be faithful to do this. And this past week, I received an email from someone in our church saying that a family member who had been here responded and let them know later on they just didn't want to be singled out in front of everybody, and that they came to faith. So, Brian? That's the fierce fire of faith. And it took a risk to do that. It's going to take a risk for you to do what needs to happen to share the gospel, to make decisions for God. But the result is beautiful, and it's foundational towards spiritual breakthrough. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this thing called faith, and what an enigma it is, and it's never ending. We have never conquered faith. No matter how many things we have walked through, it will always be something that is fresh and new and engages us with you. 
My belief is that it is the single most important thing for us to do and to walk in and to practice in order to know you and to experience you and to live a fierce spiritual life rather than spiritual boredom. Father, increase our faith. Let us be healed because of our faith. Let us pursue this with a high level of importance. Thank you, Lord God. To you be all glory. Amen.